Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to continue our conversation with Jim Cathcart. Jim has such an impressive background. It would take our whole podcast just to read his credentials, but I would tell you that he is an executive mentor, strategic advisor, motivational expert, sales consultant, entertainer, and author of 20 books, including The Acorn Principle and Relationship Selling, both international bestsellers. Jim is also a TEDx speaker, and he is in the top 1%, meaning that he has had over 2 million views of his TEDx presentations. He has also been voted in the top five sales executive speakers between 2010 and 2014, which is five years in a row. And he's a member of the Dean's Advisory Council for the School of Management at California Lutheran University. Please listen as we continue our conversation with Jim Cathcart. Look, I want to recap three of the things that I heard uh, Jim, for our listeners, and I'm just curious if there's anything else someone can do either physically or spiritually or mentally to help prepare themselves. But the three things you mentioned are that everyone will have butterflies. Just try to get them to fly in formation mm-hmm. to be there for your audience, not for yourself. And three, you know, say a prayer, say a prayer to whomever you pray to. It could be to yeah. yourself, but, you know, that's a great way to kind of stabilize your mind and calm your mind to say a prayer as to what you hope to achieve and uh, obtain in speaking in front of others. Yeah. Activities or things that you do to help prep yourself for presentations. Yes, I write L-R-A-M-A in the upper right-hand corner of my notes if I have written notes. And it stands for L-R-A-M-A, like, respect, and admire my audience. I got the idea from a a man named Lee Shapiro, who was a professional speaker and a a judge, a court judge. Um, He used to write, love my audience in the upper corner of his notes. And I thought, I like that, but I'm not going to, he was, he called himself the hugging judge. And so he talked about relationships and that sort of thing, because he had been a judge in a, a divorce court. He must have been from. He must have been from Arkansas. No, he was from California. But, but I, I thought, okay, how can I use this idea? And I put like, respect, and admire my audience. 
And so what I do prior to a speech is I look at the audience before I'm ever introduced and I, or I look at the organization when I'm doing my research and I say, okay, what is it that I like about them? Even if I don't like them in general, what is it that is likable about this group of people or this organization? Second, and I write it down. Second, what is worthy of respect? I mean, even if they're a bunch of reprobates, there's something you can respect. You can respect their tenacity. You can respect their their um, uniqueness or, you know, whatever. Um, and then what can I admire about them? You know, admire their, their ability to do such and such or their willingness to endure pain or their, you know, whatever it is, admire something about them. And then I want to openly acknowledge these three things somewhere during my speech. So I was sitting in the audience years ago in Anaheim, California, had a new employee with me who I'd brought to the meeting so that he could see how I do what I do. And we're sitting there watching and the meeting has, I don't know, 500 people or something like that. And it's not being run very well at all. And, um, so it's very amateurish the way they're conducting the meeting. And I'm about to give the keynote speech to kick off this big event. And uh, he turns to me and he says, man, can you believe this? I mean, what a bunch of losers. Look at what they and I said. Stop. He said, what? I said, what you're saying may be very true, but I, I'm the keynote speaker. There's no way I can afford to entertain the thoughts or the attitude that you just expressed. I want to like, respect, and admire them because I'm going to go up there and teach them in a moment. And he said, oh, my God, you're right. I'm sorry. And he shut up. And so I focused on the audience. And then when I was introduced, I got on stage and it went really well. And I got a big ovation and he and I were riding back home together in the car and and he said, he said, sorry about that. He said, you caught me and I learned an important lesson today. Wow. Great, uh, impactful story, Jim. I'm glad, I'm glad you not only helped the audience, but you helped another speaker <laughs> get better at what they did. So Jim, lots of our guests share a story of something they've experienced where either they demonstrated bravery or didn't demonstrate bravery. And I'm wondering if you have a story that you'd love to share with our listeners. Yeah. I, as a matter of fact, Ed, I, I was years ago in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico with Larry Wilson, who was a very, very widely known and, and uh, much loved speaker and author of Wilson Learning Corporation. And he had a, a retreat a resort that he had built in Santa Fe, outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I was there with a bunch of other meeting planners and meetings industry executives from around the country. And I was at the time president of the National Speakers Association, <clears throat> which is a group of about, at that time, 4,000 professional speakers and authors. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the exercises we were doing was in a big meeting room. We were all seated in a circle and Larry was standing in the center of this big circle, and there's maybe, I don't know, 40 of us or more. And um, he was giving us instructions for the next exercise we would all do. And he said, I want you to agree 
to during this exercise to not communicate in any way at all, non-verbally, you know, no grunts or groans or squeaks or sounds, no facial expressions, no gestures. Uh, there's a point, you know, where that'll be okay again, but I want during this first part, no communication whatsoever. And uh, we all agreed to that. Then he said, okay, now then I'm going to go around the room and I want each of you to say your first name as I point to you. And so he starts around the room and it's Ed, Bob, Barbara, Bill, Jane, you know, and he's going around the room walking from person to person and they're very rapidly calling out their first names. Well, I'm still thinking about the instruction he just gave us. And so I'm thinking, am I the only one? And he got to me and I didn't say Jim. And he's looking me square in the eyes and I'm looking back and I've got no facial expression, no gestures, no nothing. I'm just looking at him and I'm doing my best to follow the instruction I agreed to earlier. And he's puzzled because what I didn't know is this wasn't part of the exercise. This was a lead up, but he didn't say he was giving us permission. You know, we had already agreed and, and I thought I was bound by the agreement. So I'm just looking him in the eyes and he said, what's wrong? And I didn't do anything. And then he just shook his head and said, Jim. And he went on and, and did the names of the other people. And he said, what were you doing? And I said, I thought I was following instructions. He said, oh, I didn't mean right now. Well, that still bothers me today. And this is 20 years later. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't bother me a lot, but you know, it makes me a little uncomfortable. But I thought I was being brave in the moment. And uh, the fact was, uh, I was just misreading the, the situation. Well, no harm, no foul. Nobody was hurt. It was just awkward. But it's over. Is this a person that you still see or are in contact with today? No, but we were good friends throughout his life. He passed away. Oh, okay. Well, so there was that moment of, it sounds like this, so was that an absence of bravery, Jim, or the On existence? My part, yes. I felt I was being brave. Right. You know, an absence of bravery would have been follow the herd. Right. So you were believing that you were following the directions that you were told, which seemed mm -hmm. to be very specific and clear. Yep. And, you know, I think what's interesting as well in that story is that the presenter, the individual going around asking people to call out their names, didn't connect the dots. Right. right? He, he didn't say, oh, OK, everybody, I've got to be clearer when I give <laughs> these directions as opposed to, oh, that's not what I meant. Yep. Uh, I don't think you brought your crystal ball with you that day. No. And and I was the only one out of the entire group that did that. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, that's what made it additionally awkward. But I mean, seriously, I'm not harmed. Right. And I was I was just trying to do that. And, and hopefully by, by my being brave at that moment, let's assume for a moment that I got it right and that his intention was for us not to participate as willingly as everyone had, then that would have been a great teachable moment. He could have said, okay. He said, now up to now, every one of you has willingly fallen in line and called out your name after you had agreed not to communicate in any way. And what I was looking for was what Jim just did. I'm not saying this to praise Jim. I'm saying this to show the rest of you 
how willing we are and how unconscious we are of our tendency to just fall into line and do what everybody else does. You know, there have been many, 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 maybe hundreds of board meetings and committee meetings I've been in where I've seen groupthink take over and mm-hmm. everyone agrees with whoever's most vocal. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. Um, I don't know where I got the uh, bravery that was required to, to be the contrarian occasionally, but I, I, I don't <laughs> do it in a way that's obnoxious. So I don't, I don't try to be the standout guy. It's just that when I feel something is not the right thing, I state my case. For example, I'm, I'm a Christian. I was raised a Christian. I don't make a big deal about it, but that's my worldview, okay? So I was in a meeting as past president of the National Speakers Association. I was in a meeting of other professional speakers, and it was December. And um, during that meeting, I'm in the audience, and I'm the honored guest, and so my opinion counts and my behavior is an example that other people will notice, right? Not necessarily follow, but all will notice because I'm noteworthy in that context. It's like I'm who's who in that room, but I'm who's he once you get outside. So anyway, the, we're going around the room, and, and people are giving reports and making comments. And this one woman stood up and said something about uh, the Christmas uh, Party. And then she said, oh, I'm sorry. I was not being politically correct. I meant the holiday party. And then she sat down and I said, excuse me. And I raised my hand. And the person in charge of the meeting said, yes, Jim. And I stood up and I said, it's Christmas. December 25th is Christmas, no matter what you believe. You don't have to believe in Jesus for it to be Christmas just like you don't have to believe in independence for July 4th to be Independence Day. It's a fact. It's not a uh, insult to somebody's religious beliefs. So December 25th, the party is a Christmas party, but it's not designed to celebrate Christmas. It's designed to get all of us together and to have a celebration at that time of year. So just wanted to say it. <laughs> and then I stepped back down, and a lot of people applauded. Oh, I'm sure. Because political sure. correctness is a cancer. A political correctness, the intention behind political correctness is courtesy, but the effect of political correctness is to diminish people, and it, it forces people to be afraid to communicate. You know, you can't even say that tall man over there because then they're saying, well, you're being so tallest as if tallist is a form of racist, you know, and, and racist is a word that we, we've come to use just to hurt other people. You know, if somebody says, uh, who was that guy, the black guy that was here at the front desk a few minutes ago? Well, you racist. What do you mean I'm a racist? <laughs> well, you mentioned that the color of his skin. Well, it was that color. Well, how would you know I was not talking about the guy with the different colored skin? Well, yeah, but you shouldn't point out that his skin was dark. Well, excuse me. Racist means that I believe one race is superior to another race and and that somehow that race is a, a lesser form of life. That's not 
created by just acknowledging a physical reality. You know, I mean, it, we've taken this thing way too far. So it seems, yeah, it seems like it. Telling the truth and being who we are. You know, if, yeah. if I say this person was short, am I a shortest? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> but Jim, I do want to go back to something you mentioned quickly before we sign off, which is this uh, concept of groupthink. Yeah. And I, th I think you as a presenter know, and I've experienced this endless number of times, and I now watch for it, that if you're at a meeting and let's say there are, you know, 10 tables of five people each, so there's 50 people in the room, and everyone is asked to introduce themselves, if the first person to introduce themselves stays seated, almost everybody after that person will introduce themselves seated. Mm -hmm. If the first person to introduce themselves stands up, almost everybody after that first person will stand up. At some points, somebody won't stand, and then everyone after that person stays seated. But you know, we follow and we groupthink like the first person. And I've always been a person who stands up to introduce myself because I want people to hear. You know, yep. I just think if you're sitting at a table, it can get muffled. So yep. I've always been, even if everyone was seated, I would always stand up. And I think it required bravery sometimes because the peer yep. pressure was, oh, don't do something different than what everybody else is doing. Exactly. But, you know, you know, that kind of group thing can have a huge impact on others. But Well, another you know, thing is if, if you're the one in charge of the meeting, then you say to the group, okay, let's all do a self-introduction. Please, 30 seconds, just keep it short and simple. And the first person, or let's say the third person, goes over substantially. Do you step in or not? Well, I would. I would say, Ed, thank you. Thank you know, folks, because of our time constraints, if we all shared as much as Ed just shared, then we're going to run out of time and some people won't get to introduce themselves at all. Ed, I appreciate what you shared, and I, did, I don't mean to call you out, but we've got to keep to the time schedule. So, folks, please keep it brief. Thank you. Next. Right, right. And that also, well, that, it, absolutely. And, you know, we always say that being brave at work requires respect, that you always want to be respectful of others, empathy and things of that nature. But Jim, I do want to thank you for finding time today to talk to us about bravery in the workplace. And how can folks get in touch with you if they'd like to talk to you more about bravery or more about the mentoring or speaking work that you're doing? Well, if, if people are truly committed to succeeding and they would like an expert guide, then drop me a note, jim at cathcart.com uh, and let me know that you're interested and I'll send you some information you can look at and, and determine whether we ought to work together. Um, if people are just wanting to know more about me, I'm easy to find, jim Cathcart, C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on YouTube, on, you know, name it. And my website's my last name, cathcart.com. Fantastic. Well, Jim, thank you again for finding time to speak with us and share what I consider to be, and I'm sure our listeners will, very insightful and experience-based interactions with bravery at work. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do 
yet are not doing it, now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.